Well, it's great to be with you all today, and I would like to continue my thoughts from last week, continue a series that I began on the God we didn't see coming, talking, of course, about Jesus. And, um, and I think last week I spoke about him being the final word or the final revelation uh, of God to mankind. And uh, it was predicated, I guess, on the thought that I think people who reject God tend to reject um, maybe a false image of God or who they think God is. And Jesus came to dispel that. He came to show us God as clear as we could ever see him. You'll never see God clearer than how you will see him when you see him in the face of Jesus Christ. And so we began this series. We're going to continue uh, today. This is week two, part two of the God we didn't see coming. So, I mean, I have no idea where this is going to go. I, I was preparing a message and then really felt a little bit hijacked, I think, partly by Jesus and maybe partly by social events at the moment that I, I think we need to speak into on some level. And of course, we've got the COVID crisis. Uh, 2020 has been a crazy, uh, crazy year. Um, started with, with um, you know, bushfires and droughts and all kinds of things. And, um, and then COVID. And now we have this situation that is unfolding uh, around racial issues. You know, the inignorable, I guess, if that's a word. You cannot ignore um, this example of modern racial violence and prejudice in the unnecessary death of George Floyd. And um, I think there may be some thoughts and some wisdom on how we should be thinking and maybe how we should respond in this situation, in this message. It never ceases to amaze me um, that there is, not one, that there is nothing new under the sun, which, of course, the Bible tells us. And number two, that no matter what is going on, there is wisdom in Scripture. There is wisdom in the Bible. If we are prepared to simply transcend our human propensities for distrust or skepticism and embrace a higher road that Jesus offers us. So I want to begin, I guess, by saying, you know, or or commenting on how I saw Jesus for the first time. If I can um, if I could put it in that language. Um, uh, it was definitely a saviour. You know, when I met Jesus 35 years ago and opened my heart, he came into my life, the overwhelming impression that I'm left with is of forgiveness, that Jesus, uh, above all other things, was saviour, was someone who loved me, gave his life for me, and would forgive me. And even though there are other elements attached, like purpose and destiny, the tremendous sense of release and forgiveness uh, is the thing that really marks those thought, that my thinking around that period in my life. Um, and I think the biggest contrast was uh, the image I've had of God, you know, if he was real, was that he was distant, disinterested. And all of a sudden in Jesus, I found God incredibly close and near. That totally flipped on its head. And I think the words that Jesus said to some of his first disciples who were unbelieving after the resurrection. And he said, here, reach here. Uh, see the nail prints in my hands and in my feet. Put your hand in my side. Literally touch the wounds um, because I want, I want you to handle it. I want it to be a tangible 
experience. And it, it's like the Old Testament says, God says, taste and see that the Lord is good. You know, God is not afraid of scrutiny. God is not afraid of honest scrutiny. Um, but no one can stand before bias and prejudice as recent events on American streets are screaming at us right now. And I wonder, how do you see God? How do you, you know, if, if you see anything in your mind's eye, what is that? Is he close or is he distant? You know, maybe he feels near, he seems near when you think that you're doing well, according to whatever standard that is. Um, you know, you're traveling well in life, you're in quote unquote being spiritual, whatever that means. Um, and, I want, and maybe you feel near then, but how about on a bad day? You know, how about when you've had a fight with the wife or you've, you've reacted and you've been harsh towards your kids or you've cursed enthusiastically? Um, of course, no one here would do that. Um, or you've maybe revisited an old relationship or a place on the internet that you know you shouldn't be. At that point, is God near? Or is that point, is God Distant Is he still close and connected or has his love shrunk? Um, and even as I say that, it's like uh, I can't comprehend that. You know, we talk about shrinkage with cheap T-shirts and things like that. You know, anyone who's bought a cheap T-shirt has worked out they don't generally survive more than one wash. And um, uh, I can't see the love of God that way, that God's love could be shrunk in some way, yet sometimes we feel that and we tend to sense that in a nearness, closeness kind of a way, whether we feel close to him or not. Maybe you're here with us today and, and you've never experienced his reality. Um, maybe you'd say, I've never become a believer. I've never stepped over that threshold of faith. Uh, and that's really cool. We are so, so honored that you'd spend some time with us today. So welcome to the journey. So my thought for today, having these things in mind, is really a question. The title of my message is, what if God were one of us? What if God were one of us? It was an 80s song, as a matter of fact, but we're not going to go there today. And I want to read from Hebrews chapter 2. And the writer of Hebrews says, verse 9, but we see Jesus. So we're talking about how do you see God? How do you see Jesus? Well, here's how one of the ancient writers saw him. He said, we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that he, by the grace of God, might taste death for everyone. Uh, so I just want to have a look at a few of these thoughts, just a, a few quick things to clarify. When the, when the writer here says, we see Jesus made a little lower than the angels. That's actually a direct reference to Psalm 8 verse 5, which uh, is where the psalmist is talking about mankind. You know, what is man that you would consider him, O Lord? You've made him a little lower than the angels. And so this reference directly to Christ by the writer of Hebrews is um, the writer of Hebrews is indicating the incarnation. He's indicating the humanity of Christ, that Jesus can identify perfectly with mankind, that um, in Scripture he's given that same place. So here is the incarnation in just a few words, and uh, the importance of that will unfold as we go. 
The next thing he says is for the suffering of death, he's crowned with glory and honor. And this is certainly a Bible pattern. Um, But I think it's actually more than that. It's actually an authentic life pattern. We see it everywhere that that someone who suffers, if they suffer for the right reason, then they are given honor. They are afforded honor. And this word here, glory, in, in, uh, in Scripture, it basically means weight. So it's, it's this sense of a person's life takes on a greater substance. They're weightier uh, as a person through suffering when they suffer well and they suffer for the right reasons um, or even for injustice. But, you know, it, it, when someone suffers uh, and they deserve to suffer, it doesn't really change that person's uh, shape, you know, if anyone deserves to suffer. But when someone does it well for the right reasons, uh, it elevates them. And, you know, a simple example of this is childbirth. So there's a lot of pain involved in that um, for the lady that's giving birth to the child. And, and yet, you know, a child is brought into the world. It's a beautiful thing. And I think that, you know, any, any normal human being really gives honour to mothers. We have a, a day every year where we stop to recognise and honour uh, mothers amongst us because we recognise, man, they went through some suffering and pain, but it was for a very, very good cause. Um, interestingly, if we think about uh, this, this man, George Floyd, and this whole scenario, uh, I've been interested to see even just this week some, some people from uh, the African-American community that have really not wanted to accept him as the icon he's becoming for a sense for this, this movement towards justice uh, for, for black people in the United States particularly. And, and I can understand that. I mean, I heard one lady talking about the fact that um, it sounds like apparently he had a criminal record, uh, so he had history, etc. But, you know, in thinking about this, uh, I, I believe all of that, all of the past, where he'd been, or even what he was doing at the time, it fades to trivial backstory if his sad, unjust and needless death becomes the catalyst for change that brings freedom to many. Uh, I certainly think that that's what we should be looking for out of this situation. We cannot change what happened. And, uh, and it is a tragedy. But if that tragedy moves us forward to reconciliation, to recognition, to uh, greater acceptance and forgiveness and reconciliation in our communities, then somehow even a needless death, an unwarranted death, has brought a level of honour and it's brought a level of gravitas or weight, glory um, to his life that he may never have realized any other way still a very sad situation but this is how the writer of hebrews is talking about jesus because he suffered because of what he suffered for honor and and glory or weight substance has come to his life uh, not that it changed who he always was but in our eyes we recognize this is someone who has suffered for all the right reasons. Uh, And of course, Jesus was, um, the scripture says, his suffering was different in the fact that he was tempted um, 
yet without sin. He was tested in every way as we can be, yet he had no failings whatsoever. And therefore his death brought exaltation, not just for him, but for all who would believe in him. His death and exaltation, the glory and the honor, is a picture of where God wants to take all who believe in him. And and now I come to the point that I guess I really just want to reinforce today. The last phrase in this sentence is that he, by the grace of God, might taste death for everyone. And and right here, the writer of Hebrews is is, uh, subtly introducing this concept of of resurrection. Jesus has tasted death for everyone. And the inference is so that you would not have to taste death. He has gone somewhere that no one wants to go so that we don't need to. Uh, And it introduces the thought of resurrection, which is interesting. I think in the New Testament, and particularly here, resurrection is the opposite of, of death. Uh, we might think, well, life is the opposite of death. But, but in human experience, not necessarily so, simply because death is a sure bet. Uh, no one gets out of here alive. No one gets out of this world alive. And millennia of human experience have, have reinforced that fact. So in the New Testament, the opposite of death is not necessarily life, but resurrection. The question isn't, will I die? The question is, will I live again? And so uh, Jesus' death and resurrection makes ours possible. How? Because he tasted death for us. And scripture says that literally Jesus became sin. He took our sin upon himself. And the Bible tells us that the power of death is sin. So Jesus takes the power of death, what, what causes people to die, takes it upon himself. He enters death and then destroys its power because death could not hold him in the grave because the sin that he became was not his, it was ours. And when he forgives us of that sin, we are released from its power. I think it's important that we understand a little bit of the nature of, of what sin is. You know, sin at its essence perhaps should be understood not so much as moral failure, even though it always leads there, as much as maybe more like alcoholism, for example, a sickness, an addiction to self that needs to be healed. Uh, and this is why Jesus came, not as a judge of right and wrong and who's in or who's out, but as a doctor. You know, what should be our enduring image of of who Jesus is, uh, is reflected in words that he spoke to people who at the time were challenging why he seemed to spend all of his time with the most broken of people, with people whose lives were shattered and whose lifestyles uh, left a lot to be desired. And, And he answered this way, you know, the, the people who are well have no need of a doctor. Um, and that's why I spend my time with people who are sick. So even Jesus categorized his ministry that way, typified humanity's plight in those terms. And so we should understand him that way. He's not a judge 
who stands at the gate of heaven uh, deciding who should get in or out. He is a saviour who actively walks the dusty roads of our world looking for those he can restore. Uh, This is what Paul says uh, was his whole mission. And in recent weeks, I've looked at this verse a couple of times in church. I just can't get it out of my thinking. I, I keep circling back to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 19. The fact that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. That's what was happening at the cross. That God had come in humanity, had become human and was pouring his life out. The wronged party, God who had... Uh, was the one who had been um, uh, rejected by humanity. He had wrong done by him. Now was suffering the ultimate insult, shame and unjust death in that sense, laying his life down willingly for us. And um, uh, in this, why this is so important is here we see the pattern for the restoration of relationships. God sets the pattern. Jesus displays. If reconciliation can happen, this is the way it's got to happen. And that is the guilty, sorry, the, the, the wronged party, the person who suffered the hurt, the offense, has to step up first. And often we can't get this right in our society. But unless the person who's been wronged is willing to forgive, ultimately it doesn't matter how sorry a perpetrator is. It doesn't matter matter how sorry a guilty party is. There will never be restoration unless someone chooses to put the foot forward and forgive. And so uh, I look at this, you see this displayed in... Uh, the last maybe 30 years in history, truth and reconciliation commissions that have been run after civil wars, after genocides like Rwanda, uh, after apartheid and one of the famous ones in South Africa run by Bishop Desmond Tutu. Truth and reconciliation, we're trying to bring parties back together, bringing justice to those who are wronged uh, and b- bringing freedom to those who found themselves caught up in it so that the nation could simply go forward and become what it needs to be. And of course, that's still a long, drawn-out process. Um, I did find a statement, though, that I found compelling. And and this summed up what the commission in South Africa was basically predicated on. And it said it was predicated on the fundamental principle that to forgive is not just to be altruistic. In other words, to be selfless, self-giving, self-sacrificing, But actually, it was the best form of self-interest. In other words, if you want the best for yourself, forgive. It's it's not even just about releasing the other person from judgment, allowing them to get on with their life. But it's actually the best thing you could do. And of course, they they were enacting this with people who'd had all the injustice heaped upon them that we see, have seen in recent years on our television screens. So unless the wrong party, the wronged party, is willing to release, it just doesn't matter how sorry the guilty party is. Reconcil- reconciliation will never happen. God was the wronged party in this equation 
and in Christ, he forgave and embraced us. And this is the message. You know, this is God. This is who we see when we see Jesus. Jesus has tasted death for me, so I didn't have to. It was the message from the start. It must be the message now. And in a society that shuns death, doesn't want to even talk about it, does everything to avoid its reality from mindless entertainment to gathering wealth and riches. However, we try and avoid the fact. The fact is no one is outrunning it. No one gets much past 90 years. Rarely do we go past 90 years in our pursuit of outrunning it. The question is not whether you will die, but whether you will live again. Whether death can hold you or you find release from its grip because of your faith in Jesus Christ. Uh, The truth is Jesus can and he wants to bring this hope into every human heart. So I want to ask questions maybe that get us thinking about right now how we see God um, and how, how we can interact with him, how he can interact with us right now on the inside. Here's some questions. If you have an image of God at all, do you see God as near or remote? Okay, let's start with that as a broad, broad question. Is he near or is he remote? Uh, Second question, if he indeed was one of us, do you see him like many other high-profile figures, maybe distant, Uh, at times aloof, somehow condescending, or is feeling your pain, walking in your shoes, identifying with your weaknesses and fears? How do you see Jesus? Uh, Can you, in this moment of time, accept into your heart the truth that because he lives, because he was raised from the dead, Death is not the end for you because he's tasted death for everyone. Death's not the end for you. That there's more. That you can experience the more right now by taking a step of faith. Friend, I want to urge you, you know, right now is a moment to put your trust in Jesus. Um, Whatever troubles your heart, whatever troubles your soul right now, You can trust Jesus with it. He's not distant. He's right here with you right now, in the room, in the very atmosphere you breathe. The Bible says that he knocks on the door of our heart. He's just looking for us to open our heart to him. And whether that would be just trusting he's got your future and it's simply one more step in a journey of many steps you've taken of putting your faith in Christ, whether it's that or maybe this is the first time you've ever taken a big step in God's direction, Uh, I want to encourage you, open your heart to him right now. He's not far away. He's not far away. He's really, really near, made a little lower than the angels, walked among us, and his presence is with us right now. So I'd like to pray for us, if I could, today. Uh, Heavenly Father, I pray that Um, I pray that 
you would help us with the way that we see you. You are indeed the God we didn't see coming, the one that would enter into our pain, that would uh, be the, the, the first one to take a step towards reconciliation with us as humanity, um, the party who had been wronged, who yet was willing to pay the price. And, and I pray that that would shift our understanding of you, that we would see you near, that you would see, we would see you with us, that we would see you not as a judge of who is in and who is out, but as a healer that has come to touch our deepest needs and bring change from the inside out. Pray that for all of us, Father, in Jesus' name. And, you know, maybe this is not your experience of having put your faith in God, but right now uh, you're open to that. Your heart is open. Jesus has tasted death literally on your behalf. He wants to bring forgiveness, that, that knowledge of forgiveness, that tangible experience of walking free to your heart and to your life. And um, right now, while you're with us, wherever you are, in your lounge room, whatever screen you're watching on, uh, you can just open your heart in the simplest of ways. And in, in your own words, in some way, say, Jesus, come into my life. Um, I want to know your forgiveness. I want to know your strength in my life. I want you to help me to follow you and be transformed from the inside out. You know, in some way, you, you can express the, the longing of your heart to be reconnected with your creator. And I encourage you to do that right now. And, uh, and certainly, uh, there'll be a, a comment in the feed somewhere or, or a link to our Connect Hub. If you've made that decision, can I encourage you, follow through. Uh, let us help you by getting a Bible to you. And if you've got any questions about faith, about your journey right now, then we'll do our best to try and answer those and help you as well. So God bless you. Thanks for being with us, everyone. And I'm going to hand back to Pastor Sue right now.